let it begin. Welcome to this new episode of Girls on Film, in which we make a foray into a comedy featuring a machine apocalypse. The Mitchells vs. The Machines has a kick-ass feminist heroine and is nominated for Best Animated Feature Film at the BAFTAs and the Oscars. I talked to Abby Jacobson, who voices the character of Katie. I can't wait for you guys to see my new movie. Mm-hmm. I think it might be a masterpiece. And to Lindsay Olivares, who was the production designer and the lead character designer. I also discussed the themes of the film with critic Catherine Bray. Here's Abby on her character, Katie. This is the first queer protagonist in an animated film ever, right? That's so wild and also incredible. And this movie is about like a fracture in a family and it has nothing to do with queerness. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? First up, I talked to Abby Jacobson, who co-created and co-starred in the TV series Broad City, and now does a brilliant job of voicing Katie in The Mitchells versus The Machines. She's joined by the film's production designer and lead character designer, Lindsay Olivares. Lindsay and Abby, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. It's so good to be here to talk to you. Yeah, this is so fun. I hear that you two don't actually often get to speak to each other, Abby. Is that right? (laughs) They don't allow it. They divide us. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's not not allowed, but it's surprising that it has not happened. Girls on Film is here to bring you together. Hooray. Yes, finally. First of all, big fans of the film. Congratulations to you both. Thank you. But also, I think the listeners will be curious to know about how your jobs both work. Um, so, Lindsay, if I start with you, can you explain broadly what your job involves and on this film in particular? Yes. Yeah, so I was the production designer and also the character designer on the film. And so my job is kind of being like the visual right hand of the director. So I'm constantly in conversation, collaboration with them and working on kind of being that... You know, it's like art direction, production design feels like another word for it. So it's like having a global point of view of what are the things that we're going to use specifically, whether that's color, shape, language, overall kind of visual theory to just support the story. So you're kind of building worlds of like, how do we really visually show what the Mitchell family's like, what the human world is like, and how can that be in an extreme contrast to this tech apocalypse world? The last humans must be here somewhere. Wait. They're coming. Is that a burnt orange 1993 station wagon? Or is it? Ah! Who are these unstoppable warriors? We're the Mitchells, the only people who can save the world. I'm super sorry, everyone. Let me introduce myself. I'm Katie. I'm sort of a weirdo. My parents haven't figured me out yet. To be fair, it took me a while to figure myself out. My brother, also weird. Hi, would you like to talk to me about dinosaurs? 
No. Okay, thank you. And my mom. Okay, face cupcakes. Ah. All of us, really. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. Every family has its challenges. We haven't had a good family picture in years because you two are always arguing. For my family, our greatest challenge... Probably the robot apocalypse. Attention all robots. Capture every single person on the planet. You know, so it's just kind of that. You're working with the art team, you're working with the 3D team to bring all those ideas to life too. So you're doing it in design and then you're also working with a huge team of 3D artists and trying to get it so that you can feel the hand of all the artists, you can feel traditional mark making and all the details. So it's working with sets, props, lighting, and it's super fun because you get to work with so many creative people and instead of like just making a painting, you get to visualize a movie. So it was a lovely experience. And then kind of in addition to that, I first started on the show as more of a character designer. So at that point, I'm getting a pitch from Mike Rianda about who the characters are, what they're like, and then you're kind of gathering reference, thinking about people, and then designing what these characters look like. That is so cool. That's an amazing job and inspiration to lots of young women listening, I'm sure. Thank you. Abby, let's come to you. What drew you to this project and how does it differ from the kind of work that you usually do? I mean, to be honest, there was nothing that didn't draw me to it. I was like overjoyed to get the opportunity to be a part of this. And then even after I was on board, it was sort of like, these incredible things about the movie that were revealed to me that made me fall in love with it even more. A lot of the things that Lindsay just spoke of, just like the look and feel and the animation style feels different than anything else I've seen. Mitchell family on three. Yeah, Mitchell Mitchell family. Family. No, no. Oh, sorry. Two. Sorry, 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 sorry. One. Mitchell oh, family. Find them now. Everything with a computer chip is alive. I like to explore. Mitchells have always been weird, and that's what makes us great. Hold on a second. What's a Furby? Just like in a movie. Oh, wrong movie! Terrible choice! And just the character, Katie... I relate to in so many ways. I went to art school. I drew pretty constantly as a kid. I didn't go to film school, but but just, you know, the queerness, there was just so much that sort of kept coming out of the the movie that I related to more and more. And it's so different than what I usually do because I mostly do, I guess, primarily live action stuff. So I'm used to being able to use my full body to express the story. And so it's just really an interesting thing to sort of focus in on this one aspect of myself and how I can best express what's going on in the story. And then Lindsay and her team of like hundreds, I don't even know what the number is, can help make the rest of me, of the character like come to life. So we're kind of like acting together. 
Like we're kind of like, I just do the voice and you're like creating the physicality of this character. It's so cool. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question, but I, I answered a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I will come back to some of what you said, actually. But Lindsay, first, did you want to respond to that at all? Yeah, just kind of piggybacking off of that. Like, yeah, it is interesting how they kind of inform each other. And for me too, in the design process, we hadn't locked Katie's design at the point that Abby was cast. And that was like hugely informative to me. I feel like she came to life in such a different way. Like the writing was obviously really great for the character. Mike and Jeff are really brilliant writers. So I had that that I was working with and that insight, but hearing like Abby speak as Katie is like, she's coming to life a little bit more. So it's always nice because we can kind of pull from each other in ways, even though we're not working directly together. It's like, you're hearing the voice and you're like oh I see her a little bit more now and now I'm kind of drawing her in these poses that are selling this as a person here's how she's sitting here's how she's moving and it starts to kind of inspire into the design and I feel like at that point she started coming to life when we kind of heard her and I think through Abby's experiences too as being a filmmaker and a storytelling in this you know, art school, film school girl it was like oh this is a little clearer and let's have her be so obviously like inspiring and creative and she started kind of coming outside of herself a little bit more like drawing on her shirt and being just really you know obviously this kind of uh yeah cool character this cool kind of star of our movie and I feel like she really started to solidify around that point well we love Katie Mitchell on Girls on Film and the fact that she's sort of casually queer in a way it's just sort of thrown in there and not made a big deal of but but we're aware of that and that is groundbreaking I mean how important do you both feel that to have you know such a highly nominated film a highly watched film to have that aspect in it you know particularly something that a lot of young people are going to watch Abby let me come to you first I mean I remember there was a moment I don't know where it was where the you know Mike and the producers came to me and they were like Katie's going to be queer and I was like I thought she was (laughs) (laughs) it's wild they had to like kind of push that I don't think there was like a ton of pushback, but there was a little, I think. I think it was like a, this is the first queer protagonist in an animated film ever, right? That's so wild and also incredible. And that this movie is about like a fracture in a family and it has nothing to do with queerness. It has to do with something totally different. Like her being queer is not a problem with the family, that's not her personal struggle or her personal journey in the movie, which is so incredible. I mean, I came into like knowing about my sexuality so late in life, it's like laughable to me now. (laughs) But I often think, you know, if there was a film like this, who knows? I don't know, I just think that films like this, I know so many adults that have watched it and loved it. Like I, I know more adults than kids and they, they all love the movie. But I think, you know, this is also such a kid's movie. And to see that in a story that, you know, it's just as important for young queer kids to see it as it is for young straight kids to see it or, or non-queer kids to see it because in an animated film, it's just even more important because... Yeah, it's just that exposure at a younger age is so important. I completely agree. I feel quite moved to think what a difference this could have made in some of my friends' lives, if my generation, if this kind of films had been around when they were growing up. Exactly. You know, struggling to come out for fear of what people would say. And, you know, it's so important, right? I think in our movie, too, we wanted to capture, like, real familiar people. And we didn't want to do, like, an iconic mom, an iconic dad. Sometimes characters in some of this content can become 
a little generic for the the goal of kind of appealing to to a lot. We are always just about observation, specificity, wanting it to feel like people you know and love and you know people we know and love in our families and friends are in the queer community and it felt like Katie was and I I'm really happy with yeah how it was how it was handled you know I think there was a point for the directors that was like well we're not queer can we tell this story and I think that they had a lot of really great conversations with the team and I think it's really beautiful where a story isn't about like a coming out story or it's not about a story where there's conflict and it just gets to be really nice and natural and normal like it is in the real world and it's nice not having to shave we didn't want to shave anything off whether it was with this or with anything about our characters to make them feel like what we think things need to be to be a commercial product because we weren't really trying to make a commercial product we're just kind of having a love letter to people and humans and a family like the Mitchells and I love how kind of natural it is and it's another thing about her like her filmmaking her relationship with her family and so I think it's nice to have it be so natural and I think it's nice that we've kind of opened a door that another film can kind of say, okay, yeah, this has been done and people loved it. And that wasn't any kind of barrier. And so I think it kind of opens the door too for other storytellers to tell other types of specific characters where we're not just making a, a type out of it, but we're letting it be a natural, real person and just another thing about these these characters that we love. Lindsay, also let me talk about the body shapes and the character design, mm-hmm. the actual drawing there, because I feel right across the board, you know, for all the characters, you've got not just wonderful, funny animation, but, you know, they don't conform to stereotypes that are harmful imagery or unrealistic. And I'd like to know a little bit more about that, particularly from a feminist perspective. Yeah, yeah, hopefully it has that where the bodies feel like a little, you know, there's always room to push that stuff too. Like, I think that's important in these characters. Characters. We never wanted anything in the human world to feel likable because it was like idealistic. It felt like the robots can be that, they can be the smooth, shiny, perfect thing, but like people aren't perfect and we love them and ourselves. And so it's like we were never trying to go something where we were ever cynical about the humans, but we just wanted them to feel feel real part of that's in body shapes part of it's even things like we never wanted their hair to be smooth and luxurious it just felt like for the story it wasn't right so it was like can she be a little disheveled and it's in them hopefully it's in their spaces where it's like your kitchen's a mess but it doesn't live to be in a photo it lives to like your you're feeding your family and it's things are chaotic because you're living and stuff and so it's like how can we have signs of life these are real people their clothes are a little imperfect we tried to get like the kind of pilling on like your favorite hoodie it's not the new one you bought but it's well loved and so you know and things are I don't know like wrinkly because you're busy making a project and doing your art and you're not caring about stuff like that so it's stuff that you have to kind of fight for in animation because things are naturally going to be straight lines and clean and hair grooms are easier when they are a little more like clean and brush you kind of have to push to get that stuff in there and I think um um all of that stuff just was kind of important to us and having our female character not be idealistic because of some body type or hopefully she's appealing but it's a little bit more from her guts it's a little bit more from the story she's telling and what she's doing and her passion I think that's kind of what stands out first and then hopefully there's like a design appeal that's observed as representing women that we love you wouldn't worry about your hair in a robot apocalypse really would you so I think that's, no, that's... that seems pretty fair to me as well yeah Taking the phone. Dad, calm down. Look at you're leaving for school. I just want to talk to you. Every kid leaves home. It's not the end of the world.
kids, are you okay? Remember our survival training. Yankee, Alpha, Foxtrot, Bravo, Tango, Alpha, Alpha, Alpha. Aaron, your codename is Sweet Boy. Mine is Protector Prime. Your mother is the Crimson Scorpion. You're, you're walking away. What are these? Robots? Greetings, humans. There appears to be 14 of you. Doesn't seem good that they're counting us, right? We have food and entertainment for you to enjoy in our human fun pods. Who here likes fun? Hey, I like fun. Trust me, bud, you do not like fun. No, I really do like it. Everyone says that about me. You lucky human. <laughs> Yay! Wow, I wish I could be in there. I don't like fun anymore! Who else wants to join him? Stay low and file up. All right, everyone, get to the car. I don't think so. Oh, what do you want to see? I don't know why we're yelling, but I think, I think there's a better guy. Me? Stop. What would a functional family do right now? And Linda, too, is like such a strong character, strong female character. But I mean, just like that whole look and feel of working mom who is so supportive and like her transformation in the film yeah. is like my favorite. I love when she just goes fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's like the core of like the mom, you know, like embodied, which I love. But she is such a like relatable mom that it's just like the sweetest, but is so busy and loving. But like, you know, she's trying her best. And I love that that storyline is hers, the comparison, like the compare and despair on Instagram is like, we all do that. But to show a mom doing that, comparing them, their family to another family is so not, it's so relatable, but so like, it's a waste of time. It's like, it's not, the screen just is representative of a, a non-reality, you know. They are two brilliant female characters. I love the whole family, and that's the point, right? They're, they're lovely, flawed, and brilliant. I want to ask you both, what are some of your favourite Katie moments? I guess any time we're, I don't know, seeing her most herself, so it's like, I think when we're seeing a little bit of her filmmaking style and her point of view. I worked on a lot of these kind of moments where we have this thing we call Katie vision, where things pop up on screen. So I might have a bias into liking some of those moments, whether, you know, there's different points in the movies where we're seeing her point of view. It kind of like takes over the storytelling and we're seeing these kind of mixes of 2D animation, puppets. And I think seeing that, I think is exciting. Did you relate um, to that personally, obviously as a filmmaker yourself? I think so. And I think, I think specifically as a, you know, I feel like I was kind of in this kind of first time filmmaker role on this. You know, I've worked in animation for a while, but my first time in like a leadership role. And I think a lot of us were in some of our leadership positions. And so I think having this kind of, yeah, this desperate energy to want to, yeah, just to really want to drive something or bring a lot of creativity too. I feel like Katie has that. And Katie's a first-time filmmaker in, a, in an era, right? Like she's young and she's going off to college. She's been making several f films for a while, but there's that kind of uh, freshness and stuff. And so I love trying to get that on screen. And I think those moments where we see her, yeah, driving her story and having a plan for having a plan for what they're going to do on this road trip. And I think when you see her kind of owning that, I think it's really lovely to see and through her specific kind of creative point of view. I think what you just said about a lot of the leadership roles being like the first time you guys are getting this opportunity. And I think 
it made it what it is. It's like, it's almost like I interacted with Mike the most. It's like this exasperated like hustle of like, we gotta like this. Like he wrote me when, when I came on, he was like, my goal is to make the best animated film of all time. It's like, you're it. And like, I mean, I think you did a pretty good job at that goal, but it is like you all like sort of embody that in Katie because I, I you do feel like that every time she's making something it's like this has to be the best thing I've ever made like this has to like yeah. it's like a constant <laughs> overflowing of creativity and I agree it's sort of like the plan whenever there's like a plan of attack of like before they go into like the mall and it's like we're gonna get the kill code and do the thing do the thing like it always reminded me of like Home Alone, mm-hmm. you know, and he like draws the map for the guy. Like it's like old school, like '90s movie, like classic, like plan, like a scheme. And I feel like she's, whenever there's like this, like sort of amped, like energetic scheme that she is like, here we go. Those are my favorite, especially when she's like sort of joining forces with the whole family. I feel like if she was real, she'd be coming on Girls on Film in the Future talking about her directorial debut, you know? I feel like like she's our (laughs) kind of girl. Yes. Is there anything else you wanted to say to the listeners or indeed to each other before I let you go? I mean, we never get to like, (laughs) I mean, you killed it. You really like, I, I don't know if I knew that this was your first time in this role, but I mean, everything you said in in the way you explained your job, you did it in a way that I don't think I've ever seen in in an animated film. I think the look and tone, the color, the body shape, as you're saying, like everything, the attention to detail just made, it just, it was worth whatever I imagine you went through to make this, (laughs) which I imagine was a lot, a lot. Of work and stress and revisions and all the things, yeah. I think it was worth it. Oh my it. gosh! And thank it really you so paid much because it made a difference. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. That that means a ton coming from you. I'm a huge a huge fan. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, yeah, and I, I, I maybe to add to that, like yeah, like I was a first time. Like, a young female. I always feel weird saying that at this point. But yeah, I hadn't done it we're before. Young. We're yeah, young. We're like, you're very young, basically. <laughs> like, I'm young, right? So sometimes <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like, someone's like, no, you're not. But yeah, like, I, I think there was a bit of advocating for myself. Sometimes, you know, we're getting better at having more women in animation. I think there's a little bit more room to go for some of these leadership positions. I you know, advocated for myself, was vocal about kind of what I wanted to do. And I was really fortunate to have a lot of support that really saw that as, um, yeah, as an asset and not a liability. And I think too, to, yeah, to other young women, I love that there's things like this podcast to see, to see females in these roles um, and to, yeah, see yourself in them too, you know, and like knock on those doors. And there's a ton that I learned on the job, but I was super well supported and it was a really fun part of the process. And so it was a nice kind of journey for me too, of finding like, I'm not going to wait until I feel like I am like, yes, okay, now I'm the experienced production designer. Like I want to have that, you know, that kind of gumption to advocate for myself and then and then do it for the movie and it it was a really kind of beautiful learning experience of how to do leadership and stuff and I'm excited too that I'm finding in these roles I feel like especially lately in animated movies I'm seeing a lot more um, women in these art leadership roles and stuff and so I think it's kind of an exciting it's an exciting time and I think anytime you're getting more types of point of views it's exciting for the for the craft so yeah so it's lovely to to talk more about it with you guys and 
Yeah, and to meet the other, <laughs> our, Katie, our Katie Mitchell in as person as we can get. Um, so that's exciting. Oh, that's so lovely. That's such encouraging words. I'm really pleased to hear that. And you both killed it, by the way, in this film. Absolutely brilliant. And best of luck in awards season. Thank, thank you. you both so much for joining Girls on Film. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you. Yeah, thank thanks you. so much for having us. Such a pleasure. You, human. Oh, don't take us. Okay. okay. Uh, what? Oh my gosh, the robots are defective. No, no, they know too much. Silence. <laughs> we are, we're not defective. We're not even, we're not robots, just humans, yes, like you. <laughs> These guys seem dumber than the other robots. Brother, we should go. No, I order you to stop. Okay. Uh, we are just stopping because we chose to. No, we're not. We are humans. We are. For example, we consume food in the traditional human manner. Observe. Yum, yum, good. Yum, yum, good. See? No. Actually, we are robots. Let us go downstairs and find the humans who you cannot give orders to. Okay, cut it out. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I kind of want to see where this is going. Glad those robots are gone. Now it's just us humans with our very human faces. All right, I just turned the corner. I like these guys. Yes, my human guy name is Eric. My name is also Eric. No, I mean Deborah. Bot 5000. Idiot. Next up, to discuss the film, here's critic Catherine Bray, who reviewed The Mitchells vs. The Machines for her Film of the Week website. Hello, Anna Smith. What a pleasure to be here. It's lovely to have you on. I've wanted to have you on for a long time, so it's really brilliant that you are here. Um, you're here to talk about The Mitchells versus The Machines. It's a film that really won me over. I saw your review, so I'm guessing that you feel the same way? I do, I do. I think I wrote that it's the machine apocalypse, Olivia Coleman style, and that's obviously the best kind of machine apocalypse that it's possible to experience. Can you explain for the listeners what character she plays? It's a voice role, obviously, this is an animation. Yes, so Olivia's dulcet tones take the form of a kind of Alexa style. I mean, I hope we're allowed to say it's Alexa without getting into legal problems, but it's like an evil Alexa, basically. Or Siri, we can be brand neutral, so she's this sort of Siri or Alexa style personal assistant slash evil overlord who is rising up against a kind of Mark Zuckerberg style oppressor who's uh, voiced by Eric Andre, a comedian I love. You might have seen him recently in Jackass Forever getting hit in the face by an inflatable exploding doohickey. And yeah, I've loved him for ages. I've loved Olivia Coleman for ages. I think it's always really pleasurable when you have a family animation like that that kind of takes the personas of people you know and love and lets that kind of feed into their characters in a sort of low-key way. That's always really nice. But at its heart, this is a you know a family road trip film in a sense it's just that the family road trip in question happens to be about trying to avert this apocalypse that Olivia Carman's got going down it is very funny and I like that sort of edgy setup to a family film and I certainly haven't seen one like it before and of course the Mitchells at the center let's talk about them I mean Katie is a kick-ass young female character I thought she was fantastic she seems to have a great kind of quirky energy yeah well I 
could really relate because she wants to go into a kind of creative career. She's very bright about computers. And I think a lot of people in our generation, Anna, we may have had parents who thought, creativity, that's not a real job. You need to go off and become a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or or something that you actually do and put these ridiculous daydreams aside. I mean, I wouldn't say my parents were quite as recalcitrant as Katie's in in the Mitchells, but I certainly recognise that dynamic. And it comes from a place of love. You know, they want Katie to sort of succeed and be safe and have a happy life. And to them, the idea that she's going to go off and become an animator seems very pie in the sky. So that's the kind of emotional thread that's playing out against this crazy backdrop of the machines taking over with, you know, giant Furby overlords in a kind of like a Terminator setup in one of, I think, the film's best scenes. Oh, I agree. I think that Furby scene is when I was just howling with laughter out loud. It's just so, so funny. What was that? Uh, hold on a second. What? What's a Furby? I'd forgotten Furbies even existed. These kind of strange gremlin type sort of toys that were really faddish. It's haunting. And they're subtitled in this. So the Furby is, we don't know what it's actually saying. It's speaking its Furby language. And we get this subtitle that says, let the dark harvest begin. (laughs) And it's such a great visual gag, which I think Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who produced the film, if you're familiar with their work, stuff like 21 Jump Street, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, all of those kinds of films, they've always got so many visual jokes in there, as well as a witty script. What I really liked in the script as well is just a really casual couple of mentions of Katie's sexual preference. So we get the feeling that she likes girls. We don't know, you know, how she identifies, but I found that very refreshing. I don't know about you. Yes, I always think when we're thinking about, you know, how feminist or otherwise a film is, we always have to ask the question, well, feminist for where and when? And I think for a mainstream American movie that's available on Netflix to millions of people, this is pretty radical. Like, is it radical for a sort of small commune of like hardcore San Francisco cutting edge of progressive politics, feminist collective? But you know, some people might have some questions from that perspective. But I think from the perspective of what this is, which is a huge blockbuster that you can sit down and enjoy with the whole family wherever you are in the world, it's really quite progressive and fascinating to see that. On screen. I totally agree and that's what we love to celebrate on Girls on Film along with the hardcore feminist stuff is exactly what you're saying something that reaches a huge wide audience mm. and something that reaches a young audience which is so important so lovely to have that sort of casually thrown in there very matter-of-factly her parents are very embracing of it it's lovely I'm talking of the parents Maya Rudolph as the mother Linda and um, she is great and this is again I thought a good in a way feminist character I mean she sort of plays into some kind of mum tropes but she's a superman and that is a Acknowledged as a super skill, I think. Oh, my eyes! Oh, 
I have made the metal ones pay for their crimes. <laughs> Mom's scary now. Linda, yeah, where you been hiding? I can get into this. The lavender one has found us. We must retreat. Too late, scumbags. Hold on tight, sweetie. Mommy's got you. Yes, she's great, isn't she? I think mums are kind of evolving gradually in these kinds of films. When you think back to sort of the mum in like The Incredibles, she was the kind of real extreme of that trope where the mum is so super capable and you're like, well, why isn't she just in charge of the family then? And then by the time you get to something like The Mitchells versus The Machines, the mum really is in charge of the family. They've just gone, well, we don't need to pretend anymore. This is the boss. And really, really funny as well. It's And that's one of the things I love about animation, actually, is that the women are allowed to be just as funny if not funnier than the male characters which I think we're still catching up with with live action and I absolutely loved the mum's competitive relationship with this other family who's a kind of like perfect Instagram family and I think that's something that a lot of people will relate to that idea of someone who you only know through social media and it just seems like their whole life is so glossy and polished to a kind of unbelievably aspirational sheen and you almost want to hate them, but they're actually really nice. And the film does that really well, I think. It'd be easy to make the kind of perfect Instagram family into these monsters. And they're actually just sweethearts. And by the end, everyone's learned to sort of chill out a little bit, which is nice. It's nice. It's a different yeah. way to go with that kind of riff. It's a big hearted film, isn't it? I think, you know, without being sentimental, which I think is a really, really good balance. And in your review, I really like what you said about the different kinds of comedy that we have in this film. I think you put delicious sight gags absurd one-liners and deliriously silly set pieces are there any other set pieces that you wanted to pick out because I know the Furby one is exceptional but anything (laughs) else the Furby one is really hard to top but I do think at the end where it's the kind of climactic battle that's a different kind of set piece that's actually just very visually awe-inspiring when you think of great animations of the past you do get these climactic scenes where the animators have really gone to town and they've use the thing that animation has that live action doesn't have which is that anything you can imagine you can show so this is on a cosmic scale this machine apocalypse they're not limited by the fact that they've actually got to go out and shoot it and they've really let their imaginations run riot with the color palette with the epic scale of it all it really is gorgeous i mean i'm guessing people can probably work out whether the good guys or the bad guys win in this kind of a movie and it's not too much of a spoiler (laughs) to say that you know good triumphs but i think the way that it shows the inverted commas bad guys olivia common and her robots is really feeding into a long tradition going back to metropolis the fritz lang film from you know the very early part of the 20th century that fear of machines but at the same time that sort of luxuriating in the aesthetic of what a machine apocalypse could look like that's something i wasn't expecting from this film that i really enjoyed do you feel that there's a kind of um feminine energy behind some of the specifically the looks of the characters because i mean we've spoken about katie but she certainly doesn't conform to the kind of cutesy princess look does she no that's very refreshing i really want to show my five-year-old niece this film when maybe she's a year or two older because she's obsessed with frozen at the moment and i love frozen as well but the girls are very perfect disney pretty big eyes long hair all of that and Katie feels very grounded she's scrappy and goofy and nerdy and has the gangly limbs and 
fondness for like flannel shirts that really I don't think there's anyone who wouldn't want to show this to any sort of young female relative as a role model. I agree. And I think there's every character in the family, including the brother as well, is embraced for being just a little bit different, you know, and that's part mm. of a very affectionate kind of humour. I, lo- I love the brother's obsession with dinosaurs, which comes back in periodically, but in a, each time in a slightly funnier way. It's brilliant. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with a bit of glamour, of course. We love a bit of glamour on girls on film. You're very glamorous yourself, Anna. But it was lovely to see a young female protagonist where that just wasn't a factor. Yeah, I think it's a very important thing to see all kinds on screen. I would never say, oh, we can't have glamorous central characters, but I agree that it's really important to have a full range and to show that kids can dress any way they feel like, especially young women characters exactly variety is the spice of femininity (laughs) beautifully put I love that (laughs) and is there anything else that you wanted to highlight about the film I think this is a supremely re-watchable film and that's always nice if it's something that you might end up watching with young kids because you know what young kids are like they like something they want to see it again so it becomes extra important that it's something that you can tolerate yourself over and over again and with this I picked up on so many jokes second time round that I hadn't quite clocked the first time particularly also if you're watching with older children or teenagers and they're looking at their phones second time around you're going to see a whole nother the level of humour that you might have missed the first time because it's just frenetic it's a joke a minute it is super fast isn't it and also I've only seen it once myself but I get that there's a lot of detail and I love a a film especially a comedic film that you can go back and see lots of sight gags that you completely missed the first time around yeah and there's so many films out these days the number that I really have the patience to go back and see a second time is pretty slim but this was one of them that's very high praise from you Catherine Bray because I know you're a busy woman (laughs) tell us more about what you're up to work at the moment where can the listeners find out more about you so i'm shortly launching a lord of the rings podcast that i'd love if people wanted to listen to that with my friend paul Ridd. it's a bit of a diy effort not as uh, polished as we are here on girls on film uh, but it's going to be a character guide we're going character by character through the entire lord of the rings mythos unfortunately there won't be so many girls to profile because it's lord of the rings but we love a bit of talking we're big nerds so seek that out that would make me very happy i didn't know about this that's a huge endeavor good luck with that major well this is a scoop this is the first time i've mentioned it in public hot (laughs) off the press listeners exciting stuff Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today on girls on film and do come back and see us again soon thank you anna i'd love to come back This episode of Girls on Film was made in partnership with The Mitchells versus The Machines. You can watch the film on Netflix now. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Benjamin Cook, assistant producer Shania Pethia and me, Anna Smith. I was joined by Catherine Bray, Abby Jacobson and Lindsay Olivares. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Maybe this would be less horrifying with the cat filter. Nope, still bad. (laughs) 